Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Mavens Do It Better podcast, where we interview extraordinary experts who bring a light to our world. And I have a wonderful Maven on today, Jerry Palm. Hello. Hi. Nice <laughs> to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, too. Jerry, where are you coming from today? Um, my basement, my former swinging bachelor pad, um, but I'm getting married at the beginning of September. So bachelor's no longer going to apply, but, uh, um, the basement of my home in, in the region in Northwest Indiana, which is suburban Chicago, really. I've been suburban Chicago all my life, the last 25 years on this side of the state line and most of the rest of my life on the other side, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, fellow Midwesterner. I grew up in Michigan, uh, Indiana, and Illinois as well, as you know. So yeah, so it's. I swear, I feel like I have more Midwesterners on here than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> we seem to find each other wherever we are in the world. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty deeply rooted here now. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so everybody, so Jerry uh, has such a cool job, and I wanted to get him on the <laughs> podcast uh, <laughs> to talk about it. Um, and so, Jerry, will you tell everybody what you do? Yeah, how much time you got? Well, um, you know, we'll see. Let's do it. I, uh, I'm, the short version is I'm a sports writer, and I cover college football and basketball, but I have kind of a different niche uh, area of expertise than everybody else. Uh, in basketball, my primary function is to predict who will make the NCAA basketball tournament, and in football, it's to predict – uh, who's going to go to all the various bowl games, but obviously focused uh, in recent years on the BCS and the college football playoff. And, uh, you know, then the postseason starts, you know, and I, obviously I'll pick those games too, but really the focus is trying to predict who's going to get there. And I've been doing this since I started with basketball in 1994. So that makes it a long time and I'm old, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a weird gig. I mean, nobody does, everything that I do. There's number crunching involved. There's behavior analysis involved. There are people who do bits and pieces of what I do, but nobody does everything that I do. And, yeah. uh, and I do some more traditional game coverage kinds of things as well. Um, but it's not really the primary part of my job. Right. So I, and when, it, when I've, we've talked and, and I've seen things I've read about, you know, doing my research and all that stuff. So it's, a, you're a bracketologist. Yeah. That's, that's really one of my least favorite words. Oh, um, it is. Oh, yeah, no. I, no, that's okay. I mean, everybody calls me that, so you right. get used to it. But and it's an ESPN creation because oh, okay. the guy who started all of this, and really the year before I did, mm-hmm. um, was uh, Joe Lenardi at ES, and he's still at ESPN. And and so at ESPN came up with that word, and ESPN being the Godzilla of sports broadcasting, everybody now uses that word. I always think it sounds grossly medical. You know, <laughs> like if you've got a a friend who comes to you and says. You know, I saw my bracketologist today. You're thinking two things. Oh my God, I hope you're okay. And please don't tell me any details. So, you know, that's, that's, so that's a word that, I mean, I haven't got a better one necessarily. Right. Uh, and that's the word that everybody uses. So I, I just roll with it, of course. But uh, yeah, I've never been a big fan of that word. Right. Gotcha. All right. Well, everyone strike bracketologist from <laughs> your memory on this one. But yeah, but so, 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 you have to have sort of a mind. I mean, you know, obviously so much about sports and you keep all of that stuff in your brain. Right. I right. mean, years and years and years. Uh, and, and it's math too. Right. I mean, you're doing. Yes. A lot of yes. Stuff. Absolutely. Well, my background uh, was computer science. I mean, that was my major at Purdue. Okay. Um, I was a 
flaming math geek in high school. I was a state champion in math in high school. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it was just, you know, just one of those things that that's my niche. And um, so the job that I have now, there's data that is used by the committees that pick the playoffs and the bowls and all of that in both of these sports. And so there's a science to it, but the data, you know, all these rankings of the teams and all of that don't make the decisions. The committees make the decisions. They're guided by the data, but it's still a subjective process. So I always say the job is as much art as it is science. And in a way it's behavioral analysis because I'm trying to predict what this 10 person committee is going to do with this set of data based on what they've done in the past with similar data. But, you know, there's new members on the committee every year that the data isn't always, you know, the comparisons between teams aren't always the same. So there's a fair amount of guesswork in it, but I like to think of it at least, especially in basketball as educated guesswork, Mm -hmm. Uh, football, they have less data to work with. Um, It's much more subjective. Uh, it could be even more so this year because of COVID and the way it's messing with football schedules. But right. um, yeah, it's uh, and then the and the fact that once you get outside the playoffs, the other bowls merit has almost nothing to do with who gets picked. What does it have to do with? Oh, uh, TV matchups. Who's going to bring the most fans? You know, you have to have a certain record to be considered for a bowl game. There is a minimum standard. Otherwise, you know, Notre Dame could go three and nine and every bowl would still want them because they're Notre Dame. So, you know, there, there are some minimum standards, but for the most, and then there's conferences contract with the, the other bowls. So, you know, I'm a Purdue guy, big 10 guy, the big 10 has got contracts with certain bowls. So big 10 teams, if they have enough eligible are going to go to all of these games. So, you can nail it down to a conference or, you know, two, but you can't always nail down the team because it has nothing to do with how well you did in your league. Right. I gotcha. So for how you do this stuff. So we have, um, cause I work in technology as well. We have a lot of folks who listen, who are technologists and, and also artists as well. So we've got sort of both sides to it and wondering, I'm curious about sort of what, like what technology do you use? Is this like Excel spreadsheets? Is it like, is it in a, Power BI, like where, like how do you do the crunch? Or are, are you taking you know, it's, pencil it's to it? Funny, <laughs> yeah, it's fu- it's funny because I got into it to sort of teach myself some technology. Back in '94, I had just gotten my first PC. Mm. Uh, Al Gore had just invented the internet. Um, right. I had they had just changed the RPI formula for basketball. That was the the ranking system that they used that for the longest time up until a couple of years ago mm. to help them with the selection process. And uh, so I had this new computer, too much time on my hands. I had an access database. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I went and I chased down, I wanted to duplicate this RPI. And I chased, I went to the library and got, you know, newspapers because, you know, this is back before every school had a website and you could just go find scores easily and download them even. Uh, So it was a lot of, you know, hand entering of data, which actually I still do. It's like part of my editing process to hand enter scores uh, into my database. Uh, and I'm still using access to this day, although a newer version of it. Wow. Um, and then I would download flat files uh, to my computer. I had Perl scripts that I wrote to generate static pages and scripts on a, on the website to generate, um, you know, pages on the fly. And uh, it's, so I have, I had a website, collegerpi.com for the longest time up until 2011 when, um, it was really 2012, I think, when CBS bought me out. 
and uh, and so I became a full time uh, CBS employee. But really, I was on on my own for almost twenty years, uh, trying to first a, a hobby and then trying to make a living at it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. How cool is that? So, what's it like to work at CBS? Oh, it's great. Um, you know the the people I work with are really good. Um, they give me the freedom to do things the way I need to do them. Um, it's they're, they're generally good people that I work with, uh, dedicated to trying to to do the job, their jobs correctly, uh, help me do my job correctly. And it's been one of the real benefits for me is that CBS is the rights holder for the basketball tournament. So that gives me a little more access, not only to games and things, but to the selection committee for basketball, because we interact with them more than other networks do because of uh, that we show the selection show. So it's, uh, it's been very helpful and it's, and it's been great. CBS people have been really good to me. That's so cool. And so pre COVID, obviously you, is it that you were flying to, you'd go to New York a lot for that kind of stuff? Or are you going, were you going on kind of all over the place or what was your, well, was it's, a, yeah. Like? So for um, the selection stuff, you know, selection Sunday is uh, usually the, about the second Sunday or maybe the third in March. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the tournament follows the next three weeks, but selection Sunday. And usually it's really been more, I was in New York for almost two weeks before COVID hit right. uh, about my longest time away from home just for work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and uh, I had, I got out of New York on the Friday of the 13th, which was two days before selection Sunday, uh, which obviously never happened this season. So yeah. I'll be out there doing a lot of television uh, for CBS or CBS sports network. And also I'll do videos on uh, CBS Sports HQ or online streaming service, uh, which I have a studio in, in my basement to do that. But we also have uh, studios in Connecticut where we broadcast from. So okay. for those two weeks, I kind of go back and forth between New York City and Stanford, right. Connecticut. And uh, uh, I'm usually out in New York once in February as well for basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I we I watched you this uh, year. It was like, I was so fascinating because I... I'm a sports fan, but I'm not like a super duper sports fan, but I was, it was so interesting to watch you and the banter between all of you talking about the different teams and stuff. It was really fun to check that out this year, but yeah, I have a kind of a weird job in that. I I kind of put the geek in sports geek, but when I'm on television, I can't really geek it up too much because people's eyes will glaze over. So there's kind of a fine line between making sure people understand what the committee cares about with these teams and yet not boring them to tears. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes sense to me. So, um, so you, so where are you from exactly in the Midwest? I've been around Chicago all my life, Uh, South suburbs, uh, Northwest Indiana suburbs, a few years up in the North suburbs, um, all, let's see, I'm 56 years old. So I'd say 50 years in the Chicago area, four years at Purdue, one in Hawaii when I was a little kid and Uh a couple other places we bounced around when my dad was early in his career. But, um, yeah. Pretty much Chicago all my life. Yeah. Have you been to Lake Tippecanoe? Have we talked about this? Uh, you mean uh, the uh, battleground? No, well, like Tippecanoe, like uh, Lake Tippecanoe, like by Muncie and Anderson kind of. Oh, oh no. Uh, I mean, my ex is from Anderson, so I've been to Anderson mm-hmm. a lot. But no, um, I haven't been to what you're talking about. The, the Tippecanoe, there's a Tippecanoe battleground area. Right. In Tippecanoe yeah. County is where uh, West Lafayette and Purdue is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I haven't been to that area. Okay, yeah. I actually lived in Anderson for formative years growing up. That's oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Which I, did you go to high school there? Uh, no, uh, I left right before high school. So I was at, what was it, Eastside Middle School is where I went. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, well, yeah, sure. I know where that is. Yeah, and I went yeah. to... 
Roebuck Elementary, and I was supposed to go to Highland High, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, my, my ex went to Anderson, so we went to some of the – you would know, obviously, about Indiana High School basketball and what – you yeah. know, what a – so Anderson used to play in the Wigwam, which is a 9,000-seat gym, and they would fill it. And yep. one yeah. of the best high school game I ever saw was in that gym. It, it was just – it's like being at a pro game, except for more exciting. Really, it's more like being at a college game. Yeah. Because uh, the pro pro games have a different atmosphere. But yeah, yeah it was uh, that that's a that was a unique time in that town. Yeah, absolutely. But it makes sense, you know, like with what you do and your love of like technology, but also sports. It's like, gosh, the Midwest is so rich for all of that. You know, when like my I think I did I, I told you that what my uncle's passed away now, but one of my uncles played in the NFL. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. In the 70s, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dennis Rogowski, and he played for the yep. Patriots and the Eagles in the early '70s, and and then just you know watching Purdue, and he was he went to Purdue. Two of my uncles went to Purdue actually, and so they both played football for Purdue, and uh, which you know makes makes Wade very happy, which is how we've met. <laughs> <laughs> Boiler up, um, right. but uh, but yeah, but then like watching like uh, like my years growing up was watching Bobby Knight and all of that stuff and the chairs and everything right. else. Watching those things. The chair happened when I was at Purdue. I guess oh, that's one of those, that's one of those events that I remember where I was when Bob Knight threw the chair. Yeah. Um, I, I was in a, we, uh, gathered in the dorm room of a friend of, of uh, ours and watching the game and, you know, Bob picks up the chair and throws it. And we're just like, Oh wow. That's, that's ridiculous. Even by Bob Knight standards. <laughs> I mean, that was, exactly. Yeah. That was, um, that was a pretty seminal event in our college years. Bob yeah. Knight throwing the chair. That yes, was, uh, that, you know, the, the, as you mentioned, I mean, obviously I have a great appreciation for sports and I cover college football and basketball. Baseball was my first love, but there was no better theater in college basketball than the 25 years when Gene Cady was coaching Purdue and Bob Knight was at Indiana. Yep. And that was just, the, you know, those two on the sidelines together and the, and the level of competition of those games yeah. uh, was just insane. Absolutely. It was theater. I mean, it was one it of those, I mean, we, we always watched it. I mean, it was one of those where, and, in the Midwest, you watched it. I mean, we, it was like we watched the the Bears games and had the brats and that whole thing, and then the Cubs and everything else. But yeah, but those college games, man, they're so rah, you know, it's so fun. Yeah. So yeah, that's super cool. So um, where so when so when did so you got the computer? But like, was how what was that moment or that spark? But when everything where where you were like, this is what I want to do, and you started that business and stuff. Was there was it just was it like it a, a moment? What happened? I, I, I did it for my own edification. I, yeah. I wanted to learn how to use a PC, you know, at home. I mean, I, you know, I had a computers at work, but I wanted to learn this new database. I wanted to learn Perl. I wanted to learn web publishing. I was doing it really to improve my skills for stuff that I could use in my career as a programmer. Right. And it was, I, I never thought anybody would care about this. <laughs> you know, so I, I got the, I got the data together for the RPI and, early 1994, right. um, the late in the basketball season, but early in the calendar year. Mm. And I started sharing it on news groups, you know, which is the caveman writing on the wall version of message boards that we have sure. now. Right. And I, I really thought, you know, fewer people than would fit comfortably in my minivan would care. Yeah, right. And people started asking me for daily update and emailing stuff to them. And I, you know, I wasn't going to be able to do all that. Um, but then, you know, the next year I created a web page for it on AOL when AOL gave us at oh, that time, a one page website that we could use with our account. Yep. And then the next year I created collegerpi.com because people cared, you know, yep. but I, I never thought it was going to be a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this is actually kind of the miracle of my story. 
you know, if I had gone into a bank in 1994 and said, Hey, you know, I need a loan to start this business and right. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get started and you know, try and build up a little word of mouth audience. But the thing that's going to, I'm really going to need to have happen for this to blow up is for Penn state to be good in basketball <laughs> because that happens once a generation. But <laughs> as it turns out, one of those years was, I want to say it's 96 and a guy who covered Penn state actually still covers Penn state found what I was doing, called me, emailed, he, you know, he likes me. He tells two friends, they tell two friends, shampoo commercial breaks out. Next thing you know, everybody covering college basketball knew who I was wow. and I couldn't have stopped it. You know, I, it was yeah. just, yeah, I mean, I could have turned off my phone, gotten a fetal position under my desk. They'd have probably broken my house because sports writers are persistent. So it, it was just, you know, uh, but that's kind of when I knew that, you know, there was going to be a larger audience for this than I would have ever anticipated when right. I started doing this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, next thing you know, uh, I get downsized from my job in 2002 went on March 1st of all things, <laughs> went to the final four that year. And by then I had a pretty good network of sports writer, um, friends and guys that I had talked to a lot mm -hmm. and, uh, went and asked them, I said, so what, how would you feel about if I took this website and made it a subscription thing? Do you think that I would be able to get enough subscribers to keep this afloat? And they said, yeah, you probably ought to give that a go. So I did. Wow. And so I had a subscription-based website. Okay. I was one of the first people in the media to make money on the internet, except, you know, like porn media, but, you know. Um, yeah. but but porn, media, porn has innovated a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything yeah. innovates through them, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, was, I did that from 2002 until CBS bought me out almost 10 years later. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was a surreal journey. I, I never planned any of it. I right. never self-promoted. I'm terrible at that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, people found me because right. I was doing something nobody else was doing. So, right. you know, so I, by pioneering, in a sense, I guess I was self-promoting. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't yeah. thinking of it that way at the time. It's only looking back on it that I thought, oh, you know, I guess I pioneered this and I kind of pioneered that. And I'm doing things that nobody else ever did. Right. But I wasn't doing it. To, to, to do with that. I was yeah. doing it because it was a fun thing to do. And I was in a sense, I was following my passion, which, you know, is probably the most important thing I think people can do because you're never going to be happy if you don't, yeah. but I wasn't doing it for a vocation. It was an avocation that turned into a vocation. Right. That's super cool. So, um, is for you growing up, were there people like for, for you for sports, was it like people you were like, Oh my gosh, like, do you, did, did, did you then get sort of starstruck with sports figures and all, you all, now and yeah. all of oh, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, mean, yeah. I was a Chicago guy, right? Yeah, so sure. uh, Cubs fan, but um, one of those rare birds that actually rooted for both teams. Uh, but mm -hmm. the first year that I remember baseball was 1969. Wow. So, you know, the Cubs got off to this great start and then they collapsed and that pretty much set me up as a Cubs fan for life. Um, <laughs> but uh, but my the rest of my family was Sox fans. So we went to a ton of games uh, uh, at Comiskey Park as well. And I... So I would root for them too. In fact, I have to go to Disco Demolition Night, which is um, a funny story. Yeah. Tell me about that. Okay. So, so Disco Demolition Night, for those of you who are not from Chicago. Yeah. Uh, a, a DJ in Chicago, at, uh, this is 1979, mm -hmm. uh, had arranged with the White Sox to do de Disco Demolition Night to blow up records in center field, disco records. If you yeah. brought dis a disco record, you got in for 99 cents. He was the most popular DJ in town. Wow. The place was packed. 
and uh, they were playing the Tigers, the Sox were. So after the first game, he comes out in a tank. They've got this enormous box of records in center field. They blow it up, but people are now climbing the fence from the outside to get into the stadium. They, they storm the field. They set a fire. There's a fire in center field. Uh, the game is unplayable. People are throwing record shards around. Uh, we got there. Um, we had we got there late, so we had some of the last seats in the ballpark. We were out by the center field scoreboard, way up in the upper deck, and uh, but record shards were being thrown around up there. I don't even know how they got up there, but <laughs> yeah, we were uh, ducking for cover. And then the second game got canceled and eventually forfeited. And um, easily the most unique event I've ever been to is Disco yeah. Demolition Night. Wow. Well, and that was sort of a, that it wasn't sort of, it was a seminal moment in music and also a seminal moment, I think for just the seventies too, right? Yeah, it was. Oh yeah. And uh, the 40th anniversary was last year. And, yeah. you know, I don't know how much play it gets outside of Chicago because I'm rarely outside of Chicago to gauge that, but um, you know, around here, it's, it's a legendary event in Chicago sports history, Chicago mm -hmm. radio history, you know, music history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, locally, you know, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's yeah. A, an epic event. Yeah, anything on disco I've ever seen, any you know, uh, you know, documentaries and all that stuff like that, that 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 boom, you know, is always yeah. in it, and it talks about how you know it's like the end of this sort of era of also Studio Fifty Four and a lot of sort of like other cultural sort of movements of you know free love and all that kind of stuff that right. really sort of you know at the end of that in us going into the eighties and also, gosh, it's like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I grew up in the Midwest too, obviously like we've been talking about it, So I knew about it, but I think also I love disco music. Like my family, I went to hustle lessons with my parents at the Y, you know, like, so like disco and all of that and learning the hustle was a big part of my life growing up in the Midwest. So yeah, see, I was the complete opposite. I was totally on the death to disco bandwagon and I was oh, more of a, okay. of a, of a rocker, you know, right. and it, it's, and this, this station was the, the rock and roll station in town, you know? Yeah. So, so anyways, it, it was, it, it was just, I mean, I wasn't, you know, like religious about, you know, <laughs> disco thing, but it's For just, sure. you know, I, it didn't entertain me at all. So I would much rather listen to queen. Yeah. Um, or, yeah. you know, ELO sticks, you know, stuff like that. Still, you know, some yes. well, Queen's still my favorite band, but absolutely. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Queen because it's a favorite okay. of mine too. And you also just said another favorite of mine. I love ELO as well. So yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk to me about your love of Queen. When did you hear them? And did you, have you seen, did you see Freddie? I did. <gasps> um, oh my gosh. So a buddy of mine who was a year behind me in high school got a night at the opera invited me over we listened to it i mean i had heard a couple of queen songs you know back then but right. you know hadn't really latched on but that album was so good yeah. and we we probably listened to it you know you know listen to one side flip it over listen to the other probably listen to it back uh front to back three times that night and uh i was hooked i mean the the variety of musical styles on that album the fact that they could do it as well as they did nobody sings like freddie mm -hmm. um you know, but, but it's not just Freddie, you right. know, Brian May on guitar, uh, just the virtuoso, you know, Roger and John, uh, Roger Taylor, the drummer, John Deacon, the bass. I mean, just yeah. solid, all four wrote hit songs, number one yeah. songs that, you know, throughout the course of their career. But I got to see Queen with Freddie in Chicago uh, after the Hot Space album when they were touring for that, which it turned out was their last American tour. We okay. didn't know it at the time, right, but that right. it turned out to be their last American tour. They were fantastic. It, mm -hmm. You know, their act is always really tight yeah. uh, when they perform. But then 
So I also saw him when Paul, with Paul Rogers when they toured with him. And, and Paul was, you know, he's a great rock singer um, with, you know, free and bad company. Uh, right. But he doesn't have the chops to sing all of what Queen does. Mm. And now I've seen him three times with Adam Lambert. And if you ever get a chance to see him with Adam Lambert, oh my yeah. gosh, is he good. And he's, he's vocally, um, he's got the range that Freddie had. He might even have more range. And he's got a powerful voice. And he can sing all of it. And he can sing it well. But his voice is unique. He's got like this inherent vibrato that's really pretty yeah. cool. And, uh, and he's absolutely flamboyant enough yeah. to front this band. It, yeah. It's a great show uh, with Adam Lambert. It's, um, they really do it uh, justice. And, it's, and what's great about it especially is it's kept them, you know, kept the music alive for yeah. another generation, you know. And, yeah. it's, um, you know, and then you get the Bohemian Rhapsody movie, which was which I loved, obviously, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's been fun to watch, and you know these guys are still going. It's yeah. uh, it's great. I'll go see him again. We saw him in New Orleans in August. Oh. I would go back to see him again if I get a chance. Yeah, absolutely. That's on my list for sure. Yeah, and it's just all the you know it's all the records and songs, but it's all the soundtracks too. It's like Highlander and yeah, Flash Gordon. Yeah. I was just talking about Flash Gordon that I love so much. Like it's just it's such good music. I, and it's great that Adam Lambert, that they've done that, you know, that they've actually had somebody come in and actually keep that music alive. You know, not everybody. Well, it's hard to find somebody yeah. who can, who can sing everything Freddie sings. Yeah. You right. know, it's, yeah. you know, the range, the power, the finesse, all of it. Yeah. Adam can do all of that. And that's yeah. uh, actually, you know, when he worked with Queen on American Idol, as uh -huh. for the first, oh, I hardly ever watched that show, but I watched it when Queen was on it. And right. when he was working with them, it's like, you know, that like, kid might be, if they ever decide to go that way, that kid might be able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, passions of technology and sports and music, you know, we're also well-rounded as people talk about, we talk, I know you're in the Purdue band, will you talk about was, that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, um, does call me a musician is really stretching the definition of musician. <laughs> um, I had a, I had checkered history with instruments. Uh, I started on clarinet in um, middle school and, and uh, first year of high school. But then my clarinet went to the shop and I switched to bass clarinet, okay. but they wouldn't let me march my bass clarinet. Ah. So I had marched cymbals for two years in high school and uh, the cymbals were heavier than I was. Um, <laughs> I should tell you, you know, I was four foot 11 when I started high school and maybe 80 pounds. What? And I grew 13 inches at high school and another inch at Purdue. Oh my gosh. So I was six one and 125 when I graduated Purdue. Wow. So when I talk about the symbols being heavier than me, I'm not just whistling Dixie here. I mean, I, you know, that's, that's, those things were heavy. Um, right, right. But I finally got to march my bass clarinet my senior year because all the low brass graduated. Um, but then when I went back to, when I went to Purdue uh, and really, honestly, you know, I was born at Purdue. My parents were in school at the time. I'm a born and bred boilermaker. And the, I was going to go to Purdue if they were any good at what I wanted to study. And they were an elite computer science school. So that was not right. a problem, but yeah. Um, that's, uh, I wanted to be in the marching band. I was never going to be an athlete. I wanted right. to be in the marching band because that we would go to games. I would stick around for the halftime shows. Sure. Uh, but now I'm going to clarinet. I have to audition on an instrument I haven't played in four years. Um, <laughs> and I'm not that great a musician anyway. Um, so, but I, they, I got in the band, I was an alternate and then, um, my freshman year. So I got on the field a few times, but not all the time. Mm. And then my sophomore year or the, the summer after that, the same friend who introduced me to queen uh, was a sax player and he, he was graduating high school, wasn't going to play in college. So he gave me a saxophone oh. and I marched that and I've been playing that ever since. 
uh, still played bass clarinet indoors. And, yeah. and then one year on contrabass clarinet, which is basically a bell and a mouthpiece and six miles of plumbing in between, <laughs> you know, that, that, that may actually have been heavier than me. Right. Um, but anyways, so yeah. yeah, anything with a single read I can, I can hack at and, and get a sound out of. Um, but uh, so Purdue marching band, you know, that was what kept me sane through college. You know, it was, um, it, uh, that's where so many of my friends from school are. So many of my best friends to this day, the people that I'm in touch with from Purdue yeah. I either know from the alumni club or the band and, right. um, you know, I, I, my first wife was, uh, I met in the band. My future wife was a pledge sister with my ex in the band sorority, <laughs> you know, so I knew her back then too. Wow. Um, so anyways, it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, the band has, has had a lot of influence, uh, on, on my life, both in, you know, just being able to get through the rigors of Purdue plus you yeah. know, the friendships that, um, still exist to this day yeah uh, gosh all of what, 35 years a mm -hmm. long time yeah um, and you know seeing you all together a few times you know and like just how you care about each other is super cool you know it's like I, my friends from college from my theater days are some of my closest friends in the entire world so i get yeah. you it's definitely band has always been a family um my kids have all been in marching band in high school mm -hmm. um my number two son marched at purdue okay so um yeah. And that, you know, that particular year when he marched, we had alumni band that year. So we got to share the field with him. And uh, that was, you know, a really special moment. Yeah, that's super cool. And and so tell everybody where uh, alumni bands play, like how that works when when we're. Gathering. So at Purdue, we do it. At Purdue, we do it every other year. Some schools okay. do it every year, okay. um, but we they just invite anybody who wants to come back to come back. We'll usually get. Oh, gosh, I think the last time we got over 600 uh back for wow. alumni band um oh yeah well we usually march close to 400 okay so you know so you think about how many people graduate every year and the alumni base is pretty um pretty big right uh and it's you know we love to come back uh not sure. a lot of people will come back and some don't march but um right. we'll, we'll throw a lot of people out on the field usually we march with the undergraduate band uh, it's, it's kind of buried over the years. Sometimes we've had the field to ourselves and sometimes we've marched with them lately. We've been marching with them. Right. Um, and that's, that's good. Uh, it's just fun to be back out on the field sure. and, um, but it's, you know, it's homecoming. So, yeah. you know, we spend a lot of time just hanging out, uh, you know, yeah, we'll sure we'll practice and we, we don't <laughs> want to look like complete idiots on the field, but, uh, you know, really it's, uh, it's, it's homecoming weekend and we're all catching up. Yeah, that's super fun. Oh my goodness. So um, if there's someone sort of in the recent past that sort of blew you away who you met in the sports world, who's, who was that? Brent? Oh my gosh. And why? Okay. I know. Okay. I know, but give me a couple. Let me see. Um, you know, it's, it's actually unrelated to my job. I got to meet Walter Payton oh. and who was my childhood hero. Yeah. And uh, um, I have a, an autographed Super Bowl 20 poster of his with his autograph on it that, you know, when the time comes that I've got nothing left and I'm pushing my worldly possessions around in a shopping cart, <laughs> that will still be in the shopping cart. Um, you know, and yeah. that could be October. Oh, um, wow. okay. So uh, gosh, you know, but I meet, I meet a lot of the, the big name coaches. Sure. Um, I, you know, I, I get to meet, you know, the, some of the great players, yeah. you know, one of the more interesting guys, this is a good, a, maybe blow anybody away but Joakim Noah who played for the Bulls mm -hmm. uh but the University of Florida and they won 
back-to-back national championships and he was on those teams. Right. And that was, that was a really unique guy who, one of those guys that would say whatever comes to his mind, didn't have much of a filter between the brain and his, and his mouth. But, you know, and some of those guys are, you know, who don't have that filter say some really stupid things. But Joakim Noah was a really smart, thoughtful guy, right. really wired differently than a lot of people. And I just found him to be a really interesting uh, person to listen to or to, or to speak to. Yeah. Um, to, and since we're, since we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's obviously affected your world completely and your job and stuff, it's, what do you, I, it's like, how do you predict the future there at all with what's going on? You know? <laughs> no, that's funny. That's kind of my job, right? I know. Yeah. Short-term future on yeah. the court. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's hard. Yeah. Um, because you might think you have a handle on what's coming and then something happens that nobody yeah. foresaw, which has basically yeah. been the last four months. Yeah. You know, something, something happens that nobody foresaw mm-hmm. and you have to adjust on the fly. So, you know, it's, um, it's hard. You know, I'm, I'm trying to predict who's going to make the postseason of football. We don't even know that we're going to have a football season. Right. You know, and people are already adjusting schedules and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the standards for playing in the postseason in college football are going to have to change, but they haven't yet. Right. Uh, some of the smaller schools have already canceled their seasons entirely. Wow. So we're going to, you know, you just, you don't know what to expect. And probably until we get a much better handle on this virus, either through a vaccine or reliable treatment, it's going to be hard to rely on anything. You know, we're starting to see pro sports, but colleges are different because colleges have got a bigger community than just their athletes. Right. So you, it's hard to say our campus is not safe for students, but it's okay for the athletes. Uh, <laughs> right. Now, some people will make the argument, and it's not an entirely invalid argument, that if the entire student population is there, but just the athletes are there, it's kind of like a bubble, right? Right. So, so maybe they're safer if they're there when the general student population is not. But, you know, it, it's hard to social, socially distance on a football field, right? Yeah, I mean, these right. guys are in each other's faces, you yeah. know, in practice and in games and, yeah. you know, I, it's going to be, it's going to yeah. be really hard. Uh, it's a, it's a tough problem. It's a tough societal problem and every aspect of society is impacted and yeah. certainly, you know, college athletics is part of that, but for college football, for big time college football, for those, you know, the, the power five conference schools uh, and even some of the, you know, the group of five schools uh, like in the Mac, uh, the ball state to the world. Right they depend so much on the revenue from football and in TV revenue, uh, attendance, uh, which, you know, even if they get the TV revenue attendance may not happen this year, uh, concessions, the the communities around those schools, the restaurants and the hotels depend so much on this. This is a huge economic thing in college towns and on college campuses. And if we don't get college football in the 2021 academic year in some form or fashion, it's going to be devastating to college athletics as we know it because the money's not going to be there to support what they do. They're not going to be able to live the way they do this big arms race that they have, especially at the higher levels and especially in football. Boy, it's going to be tough to sustain that. There's a lot of money out there, but there's not a lot of margin out there. Right. No, that makes sense. Thanks for sharing that with everybody. Cause you know, I think everybody, we're talking about so many things, right, in this world we're in right now and talking about that. And it's, and sports are important to people, you know, and it's. Well, they're important to me. I mean, yeah, and not just, yeah. I mean, yeah. not just, you know, as a job. I mean, obviously it's important yeah. in that way, but it's, yeah. 
you know, it's a primary source of, of entertainment and relaxation and getting away from the stresses of life. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, and the economies that it supports and so many people's livelihoods, you know, like you were just talking, it's a, it's an important thing for sure. Gosh, thank you again for sharing that. That's some nice to have some, some, uh, an opinion from someone who's working in the, in the, in the industry, you know, for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you also sort of, uh, you've shared a lot about sort of some moments and I, and I was thinking, you know, you know, you've, you've been in this industry a long time and um, you've seen so many things. Is there, is there any, any other thing that's really sort of like blown you away or sort of seated, seated you here in this moment and where you are right now? You know, I know we've talked. You know, the, the, yeah. the, the funny thing just for me personally was losing yeah. my job. You know, when I lost huh. my job in, in 2002, right. I mean, that was a devastating thing for me because I got downsized. We got bought by one bank too many. And um, ah, okay. at that time I was working for bankers. Um, we were bought by what I call Bankzilla. Mm. And they just took the, the unit I was working on and moved them to Charlotte and said, yeah, we're not going to take you guys. And that's, you know, a month after a great review, a day after I bought a car to commute <laughs> to work. Oh, so, you yeah. know, and so that, I mean, it was emotionally devastating. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I had a month to kind of gather myself and think about what I wanted to do. And it gave me an opportunity to turn my hobby into a job yeah. and, you know, lead me to where I am now. But, you know, in that moment, it's, you know, I, I wasn't really, I was, I was kind of shell-shocked. I didn't, yeah. you know, I, I, I got downsized in my first job too, but that, that was different. I kind of saw, you know, some writing on the wall. This was right. a total blindside. And, yeah. uh, um, but uh, so, you know, being able to roll with that punch eventually um, really changed me in a lot of ways and, yeah. uh, and gave me confidence to deal with hopefully some similar situations. Again, not that I'm really looking forward to a similar situation, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, life right. throws two punches. So you, yeah. you got to roll with them. Absolutely. I know. It's about making a lot of lemonade out of lemons, right? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking chicken salad out of chicken dudes, but yeah, we'll go with your uh, analogy. I like that one too. Yeah. I I think... For me as well, it's like, you know, when people are like, you know, what are your greatest failure or, you know, failures and stuff. And I just, I don't see them that way. I mean, in the moment, like, I think I had that happen as well. And in the moment, you're just like, what the, am I going to do, you know? Right. And then yep. hopefully you get innovative, you know? And then like you, we go after something that's a passion of yours and create it into a business that gets bought them and all that stuff. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. 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 Well, I never saw that coming, really. But, you know, it was... uh it was a path that was worth trying at that point. Yeah. If you have any advice for sort of the young folks coming up and going after their entrepreneurship and all of that stuff, do you have any uh, a piece of wisdom that you wish you knew when you kind of started things back in the day? I don't know about wish I knew, but, um, you know, like I said, I'm a terrible self-promoter. Mm-hmm. But one thing I'm good at is saying yes. Mm. So people would, would throw opportunities at me and, you know, sometimes I, I would wonder what the value in it was. Um, right. Some were more obviously valuable than others. Mm-hmm. But it's like, well, how would you like to write this thing for us? Yes. You know, how would you like to come on the radio? Yes. Even student radio stations. Yes. Sure. Whatever. Um, it's helping them. It's helping me. Um, and I, I just found that, you know, when people would open doors for me, I found it useful to walk through, even if I was only walking through for a short period of time, or it's like when CBS comes along and I'm walking through into, you know, a career um, or a a bigger job, I suppose. 
you know, I've, I just found that saying yes, um, you may end up regretting a few of those yeses, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, that when you, when you're, when you say no, you become unapproachable and pe right. people don't like hearing no. And then they turn you off when you say yes, you know, that, that opportunity may not have been the greatest thing. Um, or it may have just been a minor thing, but, but people warm up to you when you say yes, and they turn you away when you say no. So I just found myself saying yes a lot and, um, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying yes for doing this. Huh? <laughs> uh, this is a no brainer. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Yay. I know. It's great. It's so cool talking to you. It's such, it's so fascinating to me. Like I love I mean, it is the tech, the art, the artistry of, of it all. And then do you, I mean, do you have, as far as like, sort of, seems like you got to know a lot about psychology and how people think as well too. Where did you that do? From? Yeah. It's, Oh, um, I didn't take a class. Well, I did take a psych class, but I mean, it was, <laughs> well, we know, all did, but you know, based, yeah, no, yeah. I just, um, I, I just think it must be somewhat innate. Uh, yeah. I don't, I'm not going to say I'm the best at reading people, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty good at thinking things through. Sure. So, you know, when I can, I'm, I'm good at anticipating problems, not perfect, uh, maybe not great, but, but mm-hmm. pretty good at anticipating problems right. in areas where I, I have some knowledge. So when the BCS first started out and they had this formula and they were going to use that formula to predict teams, mm-hmm. I could see where it was going to fail. And it then, of course, it uh, uh, fail eventually. And then, it would, of course, it would fail a lot quicker than anybody thought. And then they change a the formula, knee-jerk reaction. No, you're, they're still not thinking of this. They're still not thinking of this. So that sort of thing is something that I've always been hmm. um, pretty good at. Right. Uh, kind of looking not into the way future, but into the into the near future and seeing where anticipating where problems are going to crop up. Right. And uh, and so that I've been able to, um, you know, write about things like that and. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, kind of show somebody where the problems might be, whether they listen to me or not, you know, right, right. Um, but that's uh, really more often not, but that's okay. Yeah. Are there other people like you that do the, what you do? There are people who do bits and pieces of what I do. Nobody does yeah. everything that I do. Nobody uh-huh. does the numbers. Nobody does both sports. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, nobody does all of what I do uh, yeah. there, but there are people who do bits and pieces of what I do. Got it. All right. Jerry Palm, unique. <laughs> yeah. For what that's worth. <laughs> yeah. We're all unique and special in our own ways, but that's super cool that, that you've created a niche for yourself that is very much who you are and what you bring to the table. That's super cool. Certainly wasn't what I grew up expecting to be. Right. What did you expect Nobody, to be? What did you expect? Uh, computer geek. I was yeah? I'm a computer, okay. yeah, programmer. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had an English teacher in high school who read me the riot act one time. And now that I'm actually a professional writer is probably doing laps, you know, in his grave. I mean, just <laughs> the thought that I would have ever been a professional writer in the mind of this guy. I, I hated English in high school. And uh, okay. uh, you know, I could have been a straight A student, but I just, I didn't like what I, they forced me to write about. And I just, I didn't put my heart into it. And, right. uh, um, and one time this guy just read me the riot act and yeah, I, I gave him a paper that was a C it was easily a C Mm-hmm. And uh, you're better than this. And I'm not going to put up with any of this. And, you know, the kind of stuff you couldn't possibly do as a teacher now. Right. And yeah. um, he kind of went on all Bobby Knight on me. <laughs> <laughs> he basically said, anything that you give me from this point is either going to be an A or an F. And I'll be able to tell. It's like, oh, okay then. So you know, wow. I ended up with a B in the class. But, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's funny because it's, it, 
it really, in a way, it kind of taught me about applying yourself in all situations, whether you like it or not. Yeah, and, um, absolutely. And it was a good lesson to learn in high school because I would have totally bombed out of Purdue if I hadn't learned it by then. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good teacher right there. There's a lot of good teachers <laughs> in the Midwest. Yeah, sure. yeah. But uh, like I said, that 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 a particular approach probably would get you know, yeah, get you suspended these days. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they have to take it down a notch a little bit on that kind of thing, for sure. So that's awesome. Well, Jerry, thank you so much. It's such a delight talking to you. Yay. Well, thanks for having me on. This has been fun. Absolutely. Cool. Well, everyone, so where where can everybody find you out on the interwebs? Um, CBSSports.com is where my writing is and the college football and basketball pages. It's a little bit more college football these days, but yep. this, this is typically my off season. So uh, from the end of the basketball tournament until about now, Mm-hmm. I don't do much of anything. And then I work pretty much every day, at least a little bit from, yeah. you know, the week before Labor Day all the way through right. uh, the final four. The only day I get fully off is Christmas. But right. um, it's uh, but yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at JP Palm CBS. I'm on Facebook. Um, okay. I don't do much Instagramming, but uh, Twitter is where uh, most people uh, berate me about my work. <laughs> cool. I, have, I have like 45,000 followers and pretty much all of them hate me at one level oh. or another. So. every job i've ever had heather has been you know you're expected to be perfect and improve from there you know that's true the bar is is yeah i I was a payroll programmer i've been a referee and an umpire and now i'm a sports columnist paid to have an opinion so yeah it's yeah yeah skin jobs yeah got it that's awesome well we'll put that stuff in the show notes so everybody can find you and berate you and and listeners you better not berate them you say hi to jerry please but yeah It's awesome. Well, again, thank you for your time. And it's so great to have you on the show. And it's been fascinating talking to you about your job. So thank you for that. All right. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Jerry. Awesome. Well, everybody, that has been another episode of the Mavens Do It Better podcast. And here is to another beautiful day on this blue spinning sphere. Thanks. The original music on this podcast was created by Jesse Case.